facing a revolution in the energy sector right now. And as we strive for net zero and overcome our energy security challenges, it has never been more important to consider a variety of strategies, technologies and behaviours. The energy sector is in many ways pushing back against legacy thinking and ushering in fresh perspectives that will ensure an inclusive and sustainable energy transition. To unpack the role of diversity and inclusion within energy, I'm joined today by Katie Jackson, Executive Vice President for Acquisition, Divestment and New Business Development at Shell. Katie is also the new chair for a UK-based organisation called Powerful Women. My name is Pamela Larg and you're listening to the Energy Transitions Podcast. Katie, it's absolutely fantastic that you could join us today. Thank you so much. First of all, congratulations on your appointment as chair. This is very exciting news. Please, can you tell us a bit more about yourself, uh, your role, your vision for the role, and of course, a bit more about Powerful Women? Thanks, Pamela. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Um, So, My current day job is heading up acquisitions, divestments and new business development at Shell. But as you said, I've just taken on the chair role at Powerful Women, which is a cross-industry initiative to advance gender diversity in the energy sector. And of course, this is a cause, you know, really close to my heart. Um, As a woman who spent her whole career in energy, it's something I feel really, really passionate about. And I also think as I've come on in years and in my career, that uh, fundamentally the landscape in terms of gender diversity hasn't changed as much as I expected it to. So um, I'm very keen to help. I think Powerful Women have been doing a fantastic job of working with leading companies in the sector and holding them to account. And also I think, and we'll maybe talk about it later, they have a data-based approach that I find very compelling. And I want to basically pick up where the last chair, Ruth Kearney, left off. She was doing a great job and help propel the initiative to the next level of impact. I feel like there's almost the weight of responsibility on your shoulders as you're coming into this new role. So I can only imagine, but it's obviously very exciting. Katie, can you In your own words, I mean, we all talk about diversity, we realise inclusion is important, but in your own words, why do you believe this is important? Why should women be represented on boards or be in leadership positions? Yeah, and I actually get asked this quite a lot, and I really look through two lenses. I think the first for me is about the industry as a whole, and I have found the energy industry such a compelling and purposeful place to work. But frankly, we're facing some pretty major challenges in the sector. And, you know, you read a lot about it in the press. At the moment, there's currently a big energy security crisis and also, of course, a consumer price and affordability crisis. And not only that, but we're also undergoing a major transformation as we try to address climate change. So all of these things mean that we really need to be accessing the very best talent that's available. We need great leadership, we need great innovation, we need to garner the forces to change all of those things. And that really does mean that we need to have diversity of thought, of skills and experience. And I don't think that we will be able to achieve a successful transition or a kind of more modern and digital and consumer-focused industry unless we can really harness the full range of talent. 
So I think that's the first thing. And just maybe as a sort of an aside on that, with all of that challenge, those different crises kind of ongoing, it's easy, I think, to think that diversity is less important right now. But actually, I think it is actually even more important. And it's essential that against that backdrop of change and challenge, companies keep gender on their agenda, even as we come out of the pandemic. And of course, in some ways, the pandemic has shown some positive lessons in terms of things like flexible working as well, of course, all the difficulty. And then my second lens is that really, I think it should make sense for companies too. So I think all the research, and now there's quite a lot of research, points to the fact that greater gender diversity, like having more women in leadership roles, really does lead to better company performance and profits. And in my career, obviously, I've worked in all sorts of different teams, including as a non-executive on a board. And I have had so many male colleagues come up to me over the years and tell me how much better they think teams function when there is a gender balance and actually broader diversity within the team. So I think it's super important for the industry in its sort of moment of evolution and super important for companies in terms of their own performance. Absolutely. Well said. I think we are in this time of evolution or even revolution. You know, there's so much change and disruption and, you know, we really are. We're considering all strategies or business models. We are considering a variety of technologies to try and achieve our net zero goals. So it's really important that we consider all people and, you know, what they bring to the table in terms of talents or wisdom or their specific contribution to whatever the organization is focused on achieving. What do you believe companies need to do in order to really drive diversity and inclusion? I would assume this comes from a board level. It's inherent to the culture of the company or the organization. How do we start? What do we do to encourage this culture? Yeah, so I think Despite the fact you asked me in the previous question why I thought diversity was important, I actually think that most companies now get that. So I think most people or most companies get the why and want to create a diverse and inclusive workplace. But as you said, the big question remains how to do that. And I think, and it comes back to a comment I made about powerful women being data-led, the first step is really to know the starting point. And collecting and publishing data is, I think, pretty central to making sure that this issue stays front of mind for boards and management teams. What we measure, particularly in an engineering-focused industry, tends to be what we manage. And so I think, you know, all companies need to have a sense of where they are. Powerful Women keeps track of the number of women in board, executive director and executive pipeline positions for the top 80 UK NG companies. And they publish that data every year to indeed keep track of how much progress we're making. And PwC is very helpful in supporting that. But what the data shows or what it showed last year is that women occupied under a quarter of all board seats in energy and just 14% of executive director roles. And that's pretty minimal progress on the previous year. And I have to say, as a woman who spent her whole career in energy, It strikes me as pretty unacceptable, actually, fundamentally, and we've got a long way to go. So in a couple of weeks' time, on the 7th of June, we'll publish an update on those statistics, and I'm really excited to see how far we've come since that data point of last year. But yeah, so for me, the first point is really to start looking at the data, because apart from anything else, I think numbers like that do cause, well, certainly in me, a bit of a shock reaction. I think the other important thing is to 
not just hold companies account to their data, but also provide them with positive and practical support on how they can improve the picture and what actually works. And so another initiative amongst the sort of under the powerful women umbrella is the Energy Leaders Coalition, which was established in 2018, which is a group of 16 heads of the leading UK energy companies and regulators. And those are companies that have all made a public commitment to improve gender diversity within their own companies and across the sector. And that kind of real commitment, I think, is a huge step. And they share case studies, they share insights into which policies and programs actually make a difference, things like flexible working, leadership and talent programs, how they recruit, and showcasing good practices, I think, is really important and sharing best practice. But I think there's another piece of work that we've been looking at recently, which was a report on women's experience in middle management. And often, you know, we're trying to create the kind of the pipelines that we can pull through into those really senior roles that appear on the statistics. So making sure we're able to develop and keep women through that kind of mid-career period is crucial. And one of the things that that report showed is that it's not enough for companies just to put policies in place and to make them available, but companies also really need to check that the policies and the flexibility is actually being used by women. And they need to understand if it's not being used, why it's not being used. And I think that's a really important piece of solving some of the barriers that are preventing women moving through the kind of mid-career period and preventing them moving up to senior positions. That's fascinating. So a lot of work has been done. There's still a lot to do. But I can understand why that data is so important and critical to really focus action an organization I suppose it's you know where do we start and like you said it's that practical implementation from a policy perspective it's quite broad and difficult to maybe nail down how do you actually address this and put action into your strategies and policies so it would be very interesting to see some of that data and perhaps we can receive the report we can link it in the text below so our audience can also find out more Katie, if I can ask you, you've spent your entire career in a male-dominated sector. You started off as a drilling engineer. What were some of the challenges you faced in terms of inclusion, diversity? I can only imagine that it's been quite a road for you to have traveled. (laughs) Yeah, I think, though, um, first of all, I should stress actually how much I enjoyed the time I spent as a drilling engineer and at the front line of the industry. And I actually spent the first few years of my career working on rigs, onshore and offshore, including a memorable spell as a roughneck. And I think actually, because I know those environments can look somewhat daunting from afar, but I think the most important thing to try and convey is actually how much I enjoyed it. And also I think how much I enjoyed being in a completely different kind of environment and having completely different sets of challenges. And of course, initially I did struggle. I wasn't taken very seriously. Initially, as you can imagine, I was often the butt of jokes, many sort of less than amusing practical jokes at the beginning. But I actually learned a huge amount in actually two ways. I obviously learned 
quite a lot practically about the industry, but also from a leadership perspective, I learned a huge amount about how you motivate people to do things and how you motivate people to do things in a very different environment from a kind of meritocratic office-based setup. And also just basically, you know, how to, I think, adapt actually my style to succeed and get the best out of a situation I wasn't very used to. And I think there was a huge amount of learning that I've actually carried through my whole career. And it's actually given me a huge amount of credibility because even though now it's more than 20 something years ago, just the experience of having started my career that way, having that kind of hands-on experience at the metaphorical coalface has been something I've brought with me my whole career. So I think for me, the learning actually is to really encourage women not to avoid that kind of working environment. I have to say that actually, once I got my kind of hard hat and my coveralls on and had all my safety equipment and my PPE on, in some ways, I felt a lot less, I stood, felt like I stood out a lot less in the end than, for example, in parts of my career when I was in investment banking. <laughs> so I think it often is a much more supportive and fun environment than maybe it looks like on the tin. So I would encourage women to not avoid those kind of working situations. I think that's great advice. Thank you for taking us through that. Katie, if I can step away for a moment from the issues of diversity. You spoke earlier about some of the changes and disruption in the nature of work within energy. We're facing disruption, digitalization. Could you maybe just give us your opinion or talk us through that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's funny. I can think of a number of times through my career where people have talked about the pace of change. And sometimes I have kind of thought in my head, you know, there have been times in history where, you know, around kind of major international events, world wars, industrial revolutions, all these things where the pace of change must have felt equally kind of crazy. But I have to say, just right now, I do feel that myself, that this is the sort of most volatile and uncertain period of history that certainly I've lived through. And of course, the energy industry is right at the kind of crux of that from a whole number of different perspectives. And we ran through, you know, the kind of energy security crisis, the sort of inflationary affordability crisis, plus, of course, the overarching narrative of climate change and how we rise to the challenge of a much more substantial transition in terms of how we get and use energy. So it does feel like a very, very fast pace of change. But I also feel like that's just a huge opportunity. And I personally have always felt that working in energy is a very purposeful thing to do. For me, it's always been something that's meaningful, that has a direct impact on the way I live my life and and everyone else lives their lives. And so, you know, I have always felt I have huge sort of purpose. And I think we have the opportunity to really um, increase that sense of purposefulness and sort of combine it with a huge spirit of looking for new, looking for innovation, looking for technological innovation, business model innovation. As you say, there's a huge sort of wave of digital innovation coming and, you know, carbon innovation. And so I think there is a huge opportunity to really create purposeful, meaningful, stimulating career options for people. And I think, and I know you said this was away from diversity, but that does link back, I think, to being able to attract and bring on new forms of talent into our industry. But I also think that we've learned a lot about flexible work over the last couple of years. And that's another opportunity to help open up 
our industry to not only different skill sets, but also different patterns of working. So I do think it is a great opportunity to both transition the work that we do, but also transition the way we look at who can do it. And I think we really need, these are both huge opportunities, but also huge challenges. And so we absolutely need the brightest and the best on the case. I think it's fantastic that you put a positive spin on some of the things that are happening in the world right now. It's a perfect storm, but I feel like there is a silver lining around some of those clouds in that, like you say, yes, we have an energy crisis and you know we're striving towards net zero goals and it's energy security and decarbonization. So there's a lot happening, but what a great time to really include everyone and get everyone on board and get the most out of people in terms of their talents and innovation and ideas. So thank you for putting that positive spin on I think what many people feel is quite a stressful situation in the world right now. If I can just ask one final question, Katie, what is next for you? You've got this role as chair of Powerful Women. What will be your focus now as you really delve into this in great detail? I think there are a few things that really resonate with me. And I very much, I actually think this piece of work that's been done together with Bain on women in middle management and what the barriers to them then flourishing into sort of senior management roles, I think that's something that really is very close to my heart. I think I am passionate about us pushing forward in terms of the number of board roles and executive director roles occupied by or held by women. But we won't make that sustainable unless that pipeline of talent sits behind. And I also feel that this could be a moment in time, because obviously, certainly a lot of the preconceptions that I have is that some of the barriers that women face in mid-career, well, some of them, not all of them, but some of them are around balancing work and life and balancing development opportunities with family. And I think there's probably two things that came out of the report that I would really like us to to sort of take up the conversation on. I think the first thing is whether we have the quality of line management that we need within organisations to really shepherd and kind of oversee diverse talent and bring them on. And I think there is a question as to whether we've got a culture where managers are properly equipped with the skills and maybe even more importantly, the courage required to have like proper conversations on things like um, women's development and flexible working. And then I think the other thing, and I, you know, I'm a mother of two and I have a working husband or working spouse. And I had a conversation in the office the other day where somebody asked me, I get asked a lot how I make it all go round. And I did say to him, you know, all the guys I work with, they have kids too. Why do you never ask them how they make it all go round? And the middle management report also, you know, dug into the sort of some of the stigmatism around taking up some of the policies on offer, things like flexible working, part-time working. In the report, it came out that 40% of women feel that if they were to use these policies, they would be perceived as less committed or ambitious and fundamentally, you know, less that their careers could suffer as a result. And I really think we need the whole workforce, (laughs) not just women, but also men, to think about how everybody can use these kind of policies at different points in their careers. 
and how we can really destigmatize them and make more flexibility in our working lives kind of the norm. And post pandemic, when we've all been living that reality, seems a great moment to kind of make an impact on that. And I certainly remember feeling at the time I took time out to have my kids, you know, the maternity leave period seemed like such a long time. I was very worried about not doing things. I felt quite guilty about, you know, leaving additional load on my colleagues. From further down the road now, in the rearview mirror, those look like such short periods of time in what has been like a decades long career. And I think it's really important that, you know, women don't feel guilty for striving for a balance that suits them, because fundamentally that means they can sustainably contribute to our industry over much longer time periods. So yeah, so I think not losing some of the benefits of flexible working that we've just pioneered rather unintentionally over the last couple of years and making it not just an issue for women, but an issue for the workforce, because often the family balance, you know, is the kind of shared issue, not just one for the women. It's fascinating that that stigma still exists. And I think as a woman, I can completely relate to the fact that you do feel like you should measure up and, you know, am I doing what's expected or going above and beyond? And there is that pressure. So I think it comes down to having to change women's thinking as well about themselves and their contribution and their value. So we have some work to do because I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge to get there and make it really entrenched systemically. But I would challenge you a bit on that because I think, so I was, obviously I'm pretty new in my chair role. And so I asked one of the people at Powerful Women to send me a few little sort of pointers. And one of the things she said that really resonated is we try not to make it about changing women. We try to make it about changing the environment that we put them in. And I think that's, you know, really fair. That is fair. And it makes me think that I need to look at my own perspective, actually, in all of this. So (laughs) what a fantastic point. Just great respect for your role and what you're doing to really shed light on these issues. Katie, before we wrap up, do you have any concluding comments, anything you'd like to share with our listeners? I just would hope that for those who are, you know, in positions where they're making decisions on diversity in the workplace or for everybody who's, you know, who's a, a line manager to just think about some of these messages and how you can kind of help. Katie, it has been phenomenal talking to you. Your insights are invaluable and it's just been a breath of fresh air to learn more about your role and powerful women and your plans for the future. And yes, we just wish you all of the best. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Pamela. I've really enjoyed the conversation, genuinely. Thank you very much. And thank you to our (laughs) listeners for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this Energy Transitions podcast, brought to you by Enlit and Friends. Visit enlit.world for more episodes. See you next time.